You're listening to an episode from Season 2 of The Player's Voice, a podcast brought to you by the Gaelic Players Association. Just search for The Player's Voice wherever you get your podcasts, and you'll find plenty more conversations like these. Enjoy! Welcome to the latest episode of The Player's Voice, where this week we are joined by Cora Staunton. My name is Alan O'Mara. I'm the host of this podcast, a former Cavan goalkeeper, and now a performance and wellbeing consultant with sports and business leaders around the world. During this chat, Cora shares how she is managing the transition out of her six-year spell as a professional athlete in the AFLW. Cora tells us about her work as part of the Galway Camogie management team this season, and her passion for mentoring, leading, and empowering the next generation, as she looks ahead to the next chapter in her life. Cora also discusses why female intercounty players need to be better supported and the importance of players speaking up for themselves. As with all our episodes, the Players' Voice is brought to you by the Gaelic Players Association in collaboration with Real Talks. The podcast series is part of Bio360, a GPA program that empowers intercounty players across four key areas life skills, well being, dual career, and transitions. Please go to bio360.gaelicplayers.com to learn more. To find out more about me or my work, please go to www.realtalk.e. But for now, please sit back, relax, and enjoy episode 29 of The Player's Voice with Cora Staunton. Cora Staunton, you're very welcome to The Player's Voice. How are you? I'm good, Alan. I'm good. How are you? Things are very well. Um, I'm keeping very well. And as I know, I'll just from from the off, I suppose I'll say this is not the first time we've had a conversation like this. I know I was thinking about it the other day. We first spoke back in 2017, and in some ways, you've gone on and had a whole separate new chapter to your life in that window. So I'm really looking forward to catching up with you and having this conversation. And I was just saying to you off air there, this whole series has been done in partnership with the Gaelic Players Association and the Bio360 programme and those four key pillars of life skills, of well-being, dual career transitions. And I'm very much looking forward to hearing some insights and nuggets you have in relation to those. So I'll kick off with transition in terms of, I suppose, my first question to you would be, you've made the decision to step away from life in elite sport in Australia to come home. How have you found that transition away from the elite game in Australia and then adjusting back to life here where maybe you're not necessarily your main focus is not pushing yourself to be the best that you can be on the field or in a game. Yeah, I, I suppose I I found the transition so far easy. Um, and maybe that's because the season in Australia hasn't kicked off again. I think obviously that kicks off, um, pre-season kicks off at the end of May and then games will start in August. So I think I'll probably find it a little bit more difficult in that regard when I see games going ahead and I'm not involved in them and kind of the buzz of being back, you know, this time, this period is normally downtime anyways. While I'd be training way harder than I am normally um, now at this stage, I, I don't feel I've missed it. And I think that's probably because that, just what I said, but also I've, you know, came back, um, you know, just a day or two before Christmas and within probably two weeks being back, I'm, I'm involved with Galway Komogi in a team setting. And I think that's kind of taken away um, you know, missing it as well because I'm while I'm not playing, I'm involved with the team and, and around the team environment and still doing that kind of um, Monday, you know, Monday, Wednesday, Saturday in, in Galway Mogi's case. Um, you know, I'm still doing that. I'm still involved with, you know, 35, 36 girls in the management team. 
and also I'm, I'm playing a bit of club football as well. So I feel I don't have time to miss it because of the two things I, I just said. And I think maybe when the season over there kicks off that I probably will be like, oh God, you know, was that the right decision? But for now, I, I'm just too busy to even think about it, to be honest. So um, the transition so far has been fine. You know, I'm not struggling with it. But at the same time, I've been used to coming over and back from Ireland for the last five for, for the last five or six years, which I've been doing. So it's no different. I feel like this is the period that I'm normally home um, and I wouldn't be in Australia anyways. Hmm. Yeah, so in some ways you've been kind of living like, I know I mentioned dual career, but kind of a dual life where you're kind of in Ireland for blocks of the year and Australian blocks of the year. Have you enjoyed that kind of, like, in terms of the last couple of years, did you enjoy kind of, was it getting the best of both worlds? I don't know how you kind of viewed it, but kind of what was your mentality to that kind of experience of coming and going? Yeah, it was. It's different. Um, it's different in the regard. My two lifestyles are, yeah, two, two quality of life was very different. Like life in Australia compared to life in Ireland are poles apart. Um, when I am in Australia, it's plenty of time in your hands um, to the stage where you're wondering what you'll do. Very relaxed. Um, just worrying about yourself and worrying about no one else. Um, just trying to get the best out of yourself. So you're just training, recovering, training, recovering. Loads of downtime, you know, probably too much in my in my eyes because I'm not used to too much downtime. Where I come back to Ireland and the pace of life goes from, certainly goes from, maybe first or second gear in Australia, right to, I don't know, sixth gear, um, where I'm just so busy. Um, I'm just, yeah, being pulled and dragged in every in every corner and have very, very little downtime. You know, my days are so full. So, um, yeah, I pro it's probably from my own quality of life, it's good that I had both of them because, you know, I, when I'm in Ireland for five or six months a year, it's so, so busy. Then I go to Australia and I, all I'm worry, worrying about is just me and getting the best out of me. So, I found that good, um, you know, certainly when, I, when I'd have done a, a stint here in Ireland, I found going back to Australia that I needed that time, both physically and mentally, just downtime for myself. And as I said, you're training and it's hard, don't get me wrong, but all you're worried about yourself, you don't have, you know, a lot of phone calls asking you to do different things or you don't have, you know, four or five different jobs that you're trying to get done. You're just trying to focus on yourself um, and getting yourself better and you train four or five times in the week and every other hour it's been recovering, being ready for the next session where that's not the case when you're in Ireland. And I suppose on the Australian side of, of, of that equation, Cora, then like obviously you've made a decision to step away from the game. What, was there any torn kind of feelings or emotions with regards to that? I know like as I'm listening to you there, you're talking about kind of having that time to be, you know, focused on performance or selfishly almost like it's a little bubbled kind of lifestyle. So was there any kind of... Was there any fears or any kind of mixture of emotions in terms of moving that one aside and kind of or taking that out of your kind of yearly schedule? Yeah, I, I suppose there's definitely um, a mixture of emotion. I don't know about fear. Um, yeah, definitely, because I obviously loved the lifestyle over there and I loved the challenge of trying to make myself the best athlete I could be. And, you know, and obviously you're, you're six years over there. You have a lot of good friends and you've you know created a lot of strong relationships. So when you move back to the other side of the world, that's very difficult to, you know, continue um, with them, um, you know, friendships and relationships. While, while I do, you know, keep in contact with the girls, you're just not seeing them on a regular basis or coaches, whoever it is. So that part, yeah, that there's certainly um, that emotional part, but I had that all the time when I was in, when I was moving over and back. So, you know, when I came back home and I was settled, I didn't really feel I wanted to go back again. 
when I got out to Australia, I didn't feel I wanted to come home. So I had that emotion both ways, um, you know, certainly for the first few years. Um, so, yeah, there was the emotion. There wasn't probably huge fear. I probably knew um, this season out of any season that, that, you know, it was probably going to be my last. That said, if I had gone on, I could still probably perform to a high enough level. But I felt um, just the direction that the club was going in and they probably, you know, they, we, we had a couple of years where we're doing really well and it's kind of gone to a stage now where they're, they're rebuilding and regrowing. And I knew that, that was a long, you know, that's going to take them a couple of years. And I knew I didn't fit in that because I wanted, you know, success and instant success because obviously I don't, didn't with age and stuff like that. So, yeah, I kind of knew going in, you know, to the last season, you know, probably the way the direction the club was going probably after the first couple of games, that was probably going to be my last season. But that being said, um, always an, as an as an athlete and a sports person, you kind of say, "Geez, maybe will I get one more year? Is my body uh, willing to hold up?" And um, I suppose when when the off season came, the drive to keep yourself fit and having to push yourself and continue to push yourself in that off season, I think that's what a lot of people don't see. You have to do a tremendous amount of work in the off season to keep yourself in shape for the next season. Yeah, the drive and that wasn't probably there to go out five probably evenings a week and, and push yourself hard on your own on a pitch here back in Ireland. So, yeah, I, I probably knew it was coming to an end. But, yeah, I, I suppose people have probably been trying to retire me probably for the last 10 years, I'd say, <laughs> or more. So, John, I've been asked that question over the last number you know number of years. So, yeah, I, I felt like I was ready. So there was a massive fear there. Um, there will be probably, as I said, when the season starts, there will be a bit of FOMO and I, I will miss it, of course. And when, when you see the game is back up and running. But yeah, I kind of knew that um, the, the, the really hard slog that you have to do in your off season, which is probably your off season is three or four months. Just not having to do that. That's the one thing I don't miss at all. Not having to force myself to go to a pitch and do a, a 45 minute running session or whatever it might be. That's the thing I don't miss at all now. Okay, so you kind of, in terms of your own self-awareness, kind of noticed that kind of change of if it was thinking or feeling around certainly that part of the season, Cora. And then I know you kind of mentioned there, people have been trying, as you said, people have been trying to retire you for 10 years or so. And I think you're someone who's always kind of embraced that kind of challenge or adversity to prove something to yourself or wanting to go again. And I suppose as you kind of reflect on that, like, is there anything else that kind of bubbled within you in terms of that change, that thinking or change, that feeling about going for one year, I know you mentioned the club there and the transition of the team. Was there anything else that that kind of stirred up in yourself with regards to like why now? Yeah, it, it did, and I tell you, the only thing that stirred it up was I was home, and um, you know, I knew leaving Australia, so I left Australia just before Christmas. I knew I wasn't coming back, um, but as a kind of club uh, and myself, I just said to them, if they just leave to announce until I'm gone, I because I just don't want fuss. I know if I it was announced over there the club would want to have you know big functions and stuff and I'm just not into that. So I said, if you can just not tell anyone till I go, I don't want any going away parties or anything like that. And so that was that was fine. I said once I'm home, I said I don't don't mind when when you mention it. Um, and it, it just as it happened, it dragged on. So they didn't mention it for for a couple of months till I'm home. But in that time that I was home, again, it's probably around March time. Um, I, I won't say what club out there, but they obviously got wind or had an idea that I was thinking about retiring. <laughs> they contacted me to see what I'd be interested in um, joining them. Um, and there was a period there probably for a week going, oh God, well, maybe I will, you know, maybe I can go back again and, and join a different club. 
Um, and that did I, that played in my mind. I was kind of like, oh, will I, won't I, you know. Um, and then in the end, I'm, I, I'm just too loyal. I'm, I'm too about, you know, the one club player. And, you know, I've always been about that here in, in, in Carnacon. You know, I'd never, I'd never, you know, play with anyone else or, or move to go with anywhere else. And that was the same, you know, even with Mayo, you know, your loyalty is really strong. And I felt that if I was going to go to another club in, in, in Australia, and play it was only going to be for you know probably a season at max and you know I just felt that the loyalty to the Giants and, and being a one club player and probably finishing on a high you know as in getting your 50 games and um, you know having having another good season kind of was just it was probably the right way to go but there was for a period of time when you know that club and that recruiter kind of came wondering would I be interested we did talk and you know I said you know I'll have a think about it and, and kind of went back and just agreed that you know I'm probably happy where I am and, and kind of was left at that but yeah there was a period of time when you know you've someone else that's interested and speaking very highly of you and being very nice to you um you know about in in terms of having watched you for the six years over there um there was probably a small period and that's just a competitor in you um and I you know, and as I said, that was probably one of the bigger clubs that you knew that had a huge chance of of probably um, succeeding. So it, it was, it was, there was a draw and I, I did certainly think about it. But yeah, I kind of just went down the line that, you know, you're going to a big club. Um, you know, ca- can you really give it your all? And did I want, at this stage, you know, I hadn't been training to a high level here at home. And did I want to, you know, probably go hard at it again and yeah it was kind of decided between the two of us that I'd leave it and they were probably better off going for someone that maybe would be more long term Yeah do you think the fact that like like as I listened to you talk there even the fact that there was that kind of conflict or that kind of inner dialogue for you was that kind of almost enough in its sense to kind of bring your self-awareness around the decision? Because it probably in previous years, or like, you know, sport's always been such a huge part of your life, Cora. I don't think you'll mind me saying you're definitely a, a, like a winner and someone who drives standards both for yourself and others around you. Like there may be previous years, I don't know, where you just would have said, yeah, absolutely, let's buckle up and we'll go. So was even just having that conflict there, was that kind of a new experience for you in terms of, been towards the tail end of like your athletic identity and from a like an active player side of things. Yeah, I, I definitely think it was, and I, I found it like, and you know, it's it's no secret. I found this year at the Giants um, very difficult in, in regards to that terms because we turned over a new coach. So we like I had the same coach for the first five years I was there. So we had a different um, head coach this the, the last season that I played, and we had a huge turnover of players. And at that stage, we had a lot of youth brought in and. I just knew from early days that, you know, there, where this is really rebuilding and, you know, it was becoming, we want that competitive fire wasn't in a lot of them and, and to achieve and succeed. And, you know, I, I found that a struggle, you know, going out playing games where we're getting well beaten and we're not being competitive. Like, I don't mind getting beaten, but once you're competitive and you're there and, you know, that if there's improvement that you can get there, but we were so far off, I struggled during the season um, you know, with that and, and with the team, because I'm just used to, you know, trying to not winning all the time, but trying to trying to get to the top. And I just felt that we were falling further and further away. So like the head coach knew I struggled with that. You know, I, I chats to him about it and he said, you know, there's obviously a different breed of player coming through younger players. He said, like, you're, you're, you're the top. This is what professionalism is and how, what we want to get most girls to. But it's going to take so much time, you know, just because, you know, I'd be very much all the time out training, trying to get the best out of myself, trying to get that extra half percent, one percent, whatever it is, you know, 
all the time just trying to drive standards. And I just don't think the club was there this year with that and, and the change of, of coach. So I probably struggled with that. And yeah, that certainly during the season was the reason I'd said to myself, you know, I know, know this is the end. Um, and yeah, and as I said, then the, the option of maybe going to another club, it was just the whole loyalty piece. And, you know, if I if, if I was young and I was going to go to another club for five or six years, by all means, I'd have gone there. The loyalty piece would, would have probably gone away, but I knew it was only going to be for probably another year. And, you know, really, what what was I going to get out of it? Probably not a huge amount in, in terms of for myself. So I just felt, you know, it's, it's a big thing over there being a one club player. I, I just felt that the Giants gave me the opportunity six years ago and I just felt that I probably had to um, not probably had to but I felt that there, I have loyalty to the club because you know I've obviously huge relationships built there and you know I was made a life member before I came home as well which which is a huge honour that's bestowed upon a lot of players probably still don't understand the whole lot of it but yeah that was probably made my, made my decision probably a little easier you know I've had a huge career over there and you know I'm as well to just close this chapter now with, with being a one club player no, I got you. Um, like, like, I know for anyone that's not sure, like you, you think you had six seasons there, right? And became like the club's all-time top scorer. You were def- you were one of the most dangerous and potent kind of attackers in the league. I suppose at a top level or a bigger picture core, like zooming out of it, how would you like overall reflect on your time there in terms of getting that opportunity later in life than kind of many others do get it and then to have that kind of excitement and that challenge and to embrace it and go after it. And I know it wasn't without its setbacks in terms of injuries and different things that happened along the way. But kind of how, as you see here now and you kind of, we're talking about processing those feelings and that conflict. And as you see here, a couple of months on from the decision, how do you kind of reflect back on that chapter and that time in your life then? Oh, I reflect back on it like it's, I'm so grateful that I got the opportunity. Um, and for a number of reasons, um, you know, a couple of them I said already, number one being the people that I've met and the relationships um, that I met along the way. And, you know, that, that I'll be friends with a lot of the, these people for life. And, you know, some of them have been over in Ireland and in, in Mayo um, already since, you know, I've come home. So that that's number one. Um, grateful that I got the opportunity um, to see what it is like to be a professional sports person. Um, you know, obviously growing up, from a young age, I always wanted to be a professional sports person. As a 10-year-old, I thought I was going to play for Man United and I'm going to be Roy Keane. So growing up, while I was playing Gaelic football, I always seen Gaelic football as professional and you know, it was a huge thing, playing for Mayo and getting the best out of yourself year in, year out. But then to actually get the opportunity to go out there and be paid to play. But it wasn't even the pay, it was to dedicate every, every day um, to sport and trying to get yourself better and then the challenge of picking up a new sport like going over there as um you know probably a big enough person where a lot of people knew you over here and you had a, a good enough career to go into the bottom of the ladder and nobody knows you over there and now you're going into a dressing room for the probably the first time in oh god 20 plus years and you know nobody every other dressing room I went into you know since I was probably 13 you know that was the last time I've went into a dressing room where I don't really know too many people um, and yeah, the struggle for the first while over there, yeah, obviously people are not unsure of you. The Australians first year over were unsure of me, a lot of the girls and what is she here and who is she and who does she think she is and all of that. And, you know, from the first couple of weeks that I was over there really struggling, you know, being away from home, just won the club all around with Karen O'Conn. 
sitting on the plane on two, 48 hour, hours later after winning that going, what am I doing? I should be, you know, out celebrating with the girls and, you know, just that, like, well, that whole Ireland was really special. It was probably in some way, I was just, that 48 hours before I went, I was just like doubting myself, sitting on the plane, doubting myself, wondering why you should be going too much time in my hands, thinking for 24 hours, sitting on a flight and going over there. And the first month really struggled. And all of a sudden, then it just clicked. I don't know, we played our first practice match and, you know, I done quite well in it. And from there, you were kind of accepted. And yeah, the journey was huge after that. I only expected to go over for a year. And then I started to love it. And I love the challenge of, you know, being an average AFL player and trying to con- continue to build yourself as a, as, a, as a better one each year. And I suppose then the challenges along the way I had over there when I broke my leg the second year when I was over there. And, you know, that was a huge challenge. But then uh, that challenge, while I hated it every minute, I loved it at the same time because that challenge of trying to learn how to walk again, learn how to run, you know, while it was excruciating at the time, it just taught me so much. Um, and I was so like, so appreciative of, you know, being able to get back and, and play at high level. And yeah, I suppose then, you know, they talk about games and records that you break along the way, but I just loved the excitement of being a professional athlete and every day you're going out every week, you're going out to perform and get better. So yeah, I was just grateful for the opportunity and, you know, at my age, I thought I'd get one season, never mind six. So, um, you know, to to do that and, and to do it with a club that you love as well and, and people that, you know, as I said, that you love and, and have so much time for and, and now have built really strong relationships. I, I, yeah, I'm hugely grateful and the, to get the opportunity and also to see now that, you know, from 2017 to now, you know, to see you know, that we've, I think there's 32 girls will t- take part in season eight coming up is, is huge and how the game is growing and how you have young girls now, whether it's down a local GA pitch or on social media, you know, texting you say, I want to play AFL, how do I get there? You know, and these are 15, 16, even younger, which is, you know, is mad. Yeah, what's your kind of thoughts and feelings around that is kind of like you were, I think you were the first international draft player when the yeah. AFLW went, wasn't right? Okay. Yeah. So like you've you've been a real trailblazer in that regard. And I suppose, what's it like, I suppose, I know sometimes you hear like media stuff or noise around like players are leaving and there's a talent drain here. But I suppose from a player's perspective and seeing younger girls go get that opportunity, Cora, kind of what's your thoughts around that in terms of like, what's I suppose what's driving the the players to go and do it and then kind of do you feel like it's going to have a knock-on effect on like the standard of play here or games here yeah it's I suppose to answer your first part um you know you obviously want to see um ladies football you know still continue to strive and grow here but if I'm asked by any um, athlete, you know, Gaelic footballer, whatever it might be, it could be a basketball or a soccer player. And, you know, you always get messages. What like, do you think I should go? I, I couldn't but say, yes, I think you should go. Because it's just a huge opportunity to be a professional sports person in a beautiful country. And, um, you know, just to get so much from it. Um, and there's just a huge opportunity. So I find it very hard to say, no, it's not a good thing to go. So anytime I've been asked, you know, I all I just push that the girl that's going, that they're looked after in the best way they can be. Um, you know, like any professional sport, there's contracts and, you know, how well you're looked after and, and all of these things. So any advice I give them, yeah, go after it, but make sure you're well looked after. I think that's that's huge. Um, it's, it's because of the limited amount of um, opportunity here from a professional um, sports person level. Now it's got better. Obviously, soccer across the waters, you know, semi-professional. 
you know, with rugby sevens, it's professional. Rugby 15s have come semi-professional. So there is more and more opportunities, but it's just there how the games can transfer, you know, how Gaelic footballers can transfer to AFL so much easier than any other sport. I think it's huge. So, yeah, the opportunity is too hard to turn down. Um, and I, I suppose you can see that by the numbers that are going. And also, do I think it'll have an effect to answer the second part of your question on, on Gaelic football? Um, I do think it'll have an effect. It's probably not having a massive one at the moment in, in terms it is and it isn't. But I think down the line, as the game grows over there and the season gets longer and, you know, there's the aim to be fully professional like them in by 2030, that's seven years time. Um, but even in the interim, in the next couple of years, you know, there'll be more and more games. The season will be longer. That's, you know, they're getting ready for full professionalism and, you know, girls then will be just tied to, to the one sport. You know, I think there's maybe eight to 10 girls. They're doing both going over and back at the moment, but that's out of, thir- that's out of 32. You're still some of your top footballers, the likes of, um, you know, Sinead Goldrick, um, you know, Anya Tig, Ashley McCarthy, the, the two Kelly girls, um, you know, players like that. They're not playing the game anymore um, because they've decided to stay in Australia and, and f- uh, further their AFL career and get better. So there, there is a loss to the game. Um, you know, we're lucky that the likes of Vicky Wall, um, you know, Ashley Maloney, who will go out in, in a couple of months, then girls have stayed this season. But will they be playing Gaelic football in, in another couple of years' time? With the way the game is going, probably not. So, yeah, you're losing your best stars. If you look at it at the moment, probably six or seven out of our top 10 Gaelic footballers will be in AFLW uh, in, in, in the season that's about to happen in, in August. So, yeah, I do think in time it's going to have a drain on the game. And I, I think that number of 32 will con- increase um, over the next few years as well. Yeah, because obviously like it's all happening in tandem where Gaelic football here and the standard has risen and like the quality of athlete that Ireland are producing has obviously risen as well from an athletic point of view. So if from on the Australian side, of course it makes sense to look over and say, hey, that person can transition here. You've shown that you're just one example of many that have already done it. Um, I suppose then it kind of, is there any mixed feelings? for Obviously, because you're one of the ones that's like literally been on both sides of it and experienced the good of of both sides of it. Like, is there any kind of mixed feelings around like as, as Gaelic football in Ireland here is growing in popularity and crowd sizes and standards that that may then have a negative impact in terms of the quality and kind of the knock-on effect of the game here? Uh, There's a little bit of mixed feelings, but I suppose I was just lucky that I went to the time that my Gaelic football career was coming towards an end. Anyways, I had won my All-Irelands and I had done everything I could, you know, with Mayo. Um, I, I, I would struggle, I suppose, if I was trying to think if I was back to my... 21 year old self now um, and I had to make that decision and I, I was in the height of me winning All-Ireland I'd probably yeah, it'd be a huge struggle and a huge decision to make I'd really really struggle to make it um, and it's easy to answer now what you do because you're not sure but I was so um male orientated that if anyone had come asked me to play another sport and you know this was at a stage where you know you're getting opportunities during the summer to go to America and make a bit of cash um, that I turned down summer after summer because I wanted to play for Mayo. So, yeah, if I was 21 or 22 and, and they came calling, I couldn't, if I was trying to think back to that time of Mayo, I, I couldn't see myself going. So I'm just glad I didn't have to make that decision. Um, you know, it, it is a huge decision. As I said, it, as time when girls can go over and back, it, it's not too bad at the moment. But when, when that stops, it, it is going to be a huge decision for girls. But, 
you know, it's a huge opportunity. Some girls will go and make a full 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 time career out for it, as in they might last ten or twelve years in the system. Some might go and try it for two or three years and come back again. Um, it's it yeah, it's, it's going to be an interesting watch over the next couple of years. But um, I, I just know from the top level of AFL from, you know, obviously being in contact with them, they rate their Irish quite highly over there and they think they bring a huge amount to the game um, and they love to see them coming over. So yeah, by all means, from 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 knowing a lot of them, you know, they're, they're certainly targeting the Irish and club managers over there or club head coaches have been over. You know, I've known numerous amounts of them that have been over and, and they're targeting the players because... There isn't enough talent in the in their country at the moment, and even if there was, they just love the excitement and the difference that the Irish players bring. So, it will continue to happen. Um, yeah, I do worry for I do worry a little bit for the game of Gaelic football and where it's going. Um, and you know, I've spoken up many a time. That's why I think that it, it's it, it's really important that they start looking after female ladies footballers a lot better than they're look, looked after now. And we don't need to go into it because we know all the problems and issues that are there. But you know. And you look at it, Cavan footballers are a prime example. Ashley yes. Sheridan plays with Cavan, she plays with Collingwood. You know, and you know what they've gone through, you know, in the league and having to pull out because, you know, they're not getting basic expenses for girls that are travelling up and down from Dublin. Like, why would you want to stay around when you're not being looked after? They're not looking at they're not looking for millions. They're looking at looking for, I think, 30 euro for covering petrol expenses. So when you're still talking about that in 2023, you can understand why girls would probably go because you know, it's it's just a huge opportunity and, and probably not being looked after very well in their own county. No, I think that's a point well made, you know, and like it's very easy if it's from a media perspective or if it's an administration perspective to point the finger and say, oh, we're losing 30 people that way. And while they may be the best, like some of the best players, I suppose that there's there's hundreds or thousands that need to be looked after better. And that's what as you're, you're kind of getting at, like facilitating for, for the many and doing a better job that if someone can split it, they will. But also practically, like, let's be real, like someone gets an opportunity to go and experience the lifestyle that you've described and those challenges professional. Like if a male player goes to decides they want to play soccer in England or Australian football or in Australia, whatever it may be, like, of course, someone's going to go and try and do it. And I think your point about, I suppose like not using the people going away as an excuse to not drive things at home and standards is is really important you know and i think we could we could go down a rabbit hole about all those kind of things with the, the Cavan footballers the Kildare Camogie team right now um i suppose what i would ask in terms of kind of in terms of the jump from when you left core which i think was in what was that 2017 um and to now like have you is do you notice the increase in on the positive side the kind of standards of of play and provisions that players are getting um or do you still think like it's in around the same or kind of how would you look at that snapshot are, are you on about in ireland or in yeah in, no in, in, in ireland, ireland. Or, yeah yeah, I probably struggle a bit because obviously I haven't been around the scene. So it'd be just from talking to girls that I, I know are still involved in teams. Bio, and sorry, and from being involved in Galway Camogie, I, I probably have a bit of an insight now. Again, what Galway Camogie would have got four or five years ago or been treated, I, I'm not sure how that is. You know, I'd have to nearly ask. But from certainly being from being with Galway Camogie, they're very well looked after. Um, you know, in, in terms of when I went into this setup in Galway Camogie, First, I, I was I was genuinely shocked how professional of a setup they had. Um, you know, I thought it wouldn't be anywhere near the level, and that's coming off my, you know, time time with Mayo and stuff like that. I, I was genuinely shocked at how well they're looked after. 
yeah, there's there's always issues and there's things they can get better at and, and pitches is, is probably their biggest issue in trying to get pitches, but everything else they're they're really well looked after. Um from the point of view of ladies football, yeah, certainly th- things have got better from, from the point of view of training facilities, ac- access to gyms and, um, you know, food and stuff after training and gear. These were, th- you know, small things we were fighting for, you know, for majority of my career towards my end of my career. You know, gear was a big thing that you get very little. Now I think that's not a problem anymore in most counties. But again, this is speaking from, you know, in terms of lady football, Mayo, they're a bigger county and in Camogie, Galway are seen as one of the bigger counties as well in terms of success. You know, I, I cannot speak from from elite from football, elite from ladies football or, or you know, a smaller Camogie team that, you know, maybe are, you know, junior. So, but yeah, I, I think things have got better, but the, I still have, I still have a huge problem with the whole expenses side of things that, you know, girls are driving halfway around the country and, um, you know, they're, while they're being looked after in, in a small way, um, there, there's still a huge disparity in, in, in what a male intercounter player gets and what a female intercounter player. But, you know, they're still training at the same level. So from that point of view, that the whole out-of-pocket expenses, that, that's a huge problem. And the whole um, thing around health and how they're, you know, they're looked after, whether it's physio, scans, that type of thing as well, that that whole system probably still irritates me. And um, how how poorly that at, at times that girls are looked after. If you need to get a scan, how long you need to wait. And I suppose oh, I, I'm coming again from a professional environment of being over there that if you get an injury over there, you're looked after within 24 hours. If your scan got, you know, what's your problem? And, and there's, no, there's no, no huge paperwork. So they're probably the two things. Again, I, I haven't been around the setup, so I don't know exactly. But from talking to girls, they're probably the two things that still need to improve. Pitches are always going to be a problem because of the the numbers that are playing the sport at the moment and, and weather in Ireland, that's always going to be an issue. But again, I think that's all, you know, down to obviously the GPA are doing massive work because they've integrated the two, the WGPA and the GPA together. But I think it'll all come down to integration of the of, of the of the four or the three codes, GEA and and um Camogie and Ladies Football. And I think when that when that happens and they all come under the one umbrella you know, and the decision making is being made from the top table by all three bodies, then I think a lot of these things will, will be resolved. But I think that's going very slowly and, and I think that's frustrating. And I just hope that we haven't lost too many players in, in, in that period of time that they're trying to trying to sort that out. Yeah, I think and I know something that comes to mind is like, I know the ongoing stuff at the moment regards to just standardising the player charter and getting those basic conditions kind of set in stone across the different organisations to kind of, iron out some of those kinks proactively almost um and then like you, you're going back to as you said there kind of getting those basic things right and those fundamentals right for people who help keep players in the game and it, that's what it's about more so than the 15 20 maybe going to australia i don't know if you agree with that or not uh, i think that's yeah, kind of, I think uh, we're on the same page yeah. with that a hundred percent and i think it's really important as well i hundred percent agree with that and i think it's really important that that no matter if you're a Galway Camogie player or you're a Mayo ladies footballer or you're a Roscommon men's footballer or wherever you're from, it doesn't matter. It shouldn't matter how well your county is ran. Everyone, every individual that plays represents their county should be treated equally. So, and I think that's where there, there is like, if, if and again, I can't, I don't want to speak out of term, but I'm, I'm sure if you're talking to as a Leitrim ladies footballer, I can just think of them in Connacht or if you're talking to a lesser team in 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 Camogie or, or so-called smaller, you know, junior or intermediate, they mightn't be as well looked after because you know the, the sport isn't as big in the county. Um, 
you know, I just love to do a comparison of all counties and, and how they're how they're looked after. I think that's the, the biggest thing is that no matter what, you know, if you're representing your county at inter-county level, at ladies football, Camogie or Hurling or men's football, you're treated the same no matter where you're from, from, from on the map. So I think that's it. That's a huge thing because you look at Cavan ladies footballers, for example, Kildare Camogie players, they're obviously, you know, things are a lot worse for them than they are in, in, in the counties that I'm talking about. What would you say to kind of if any particularly female players, inter-county players are listening to this core that maybe are dealing with that like inequality or substandard supports and you know it's I think it's only human for a lot of people to start getting disillusioned or can get demoralised by it. I know you've seen in Cavan where people have taken a stand and pushed or in Kildare there's been different issues but kind of what would you say to if there is players listening who are starting to maybe it's wearing them down or grinding their gears what would you say to a younger player you, know, you think of yourself back 15 years ago whatever it was Cora like dealing with that kind of frustrations would you have any advice for them? Yeah it's it's very difficult and it does become very frustrating and my biggest worry is that them girls then just they just walk away because what what's it worth like to them if by staying there it's it's just creating so much you know anxiety there's so much stress for them and sometimes they just walk away in the end and they have you know uh, like I, I think what it's going to take is I think that if you know, if I, I t- fair play to the Cavan um, ladies footballers for standing up. I think it's going to take a huge player, player, um, you know, players getting together. And I just don't think it's me. It's going to be the female players. I think it's going to take a whole association, you know, of of players, whether it's you know men's footballers standing up, you know, saying this is not good enough. It's the Cavan men's footballers in that case, and I think it's going to take a little bit of a push from 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 the whole. Um, player movement um, to try and get things better because it can become so disillusioned. Um, you know, and again, I, I kind of go back to, you know, what I've learned in Australia and see the, the bodies over there. You know, the PA is the Players Association there and it represents both male and female players. There's no, like ourselves here, there's no disparity between the two. But, you know, it's small things that when, and again, they have issues in Australia. You know, at the moment they're trying to do a collective bargaining agreement, CBA, and you know where you know men's obviously the men's game is is having huge, making huge revenue from in viewership and attendances over there, where it's not happening in the women's game yet because the men's game is a hundred plus years old, the women's game is eight. But the 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 key men and players over there are you know given a bit of their you know salary or you know what their percentage of revenue that they make from TV to the women's game to help it grow because they know in time give it another 20 years it could be a huge success but it needs that growth and it needs that investment so there's you know huge figures of you know of AFL men you know that are high very high profile over there that back the women's program and the two the two um, teams. So, if you have an AFL men's team and an AFL women's team, they're, they're they're under the one umbrella. You know, they train in the same venue. They're looked after by the same organisation. You know, they're they're sharing the same facilities. So, I think it probably take in that regard that yeah, I'd love to see that. You know, the the intercounty men's, whether it's in Cavan or here in May or wherever it might be, or um, that they you know push and, and say this is not good enough. We expect that our you know our our women's intercounty players are treated better. I think that's would be a huge step in the right direction, and I think it'll put more and more pressure on the um, on the GEA and, and the three organisations to come to mel- together to amalgamate. So, I think that there's more voice that we have, and there's more said about it. Because in my time that I've been there, so much was just 
not said and you just accepted it and you said, you know, yeah, we'll go and fundraise ourselves. You know, we'll go and cook our own food or, you know, we'll just train wherever. We'll train on a rugby club pitch or we'll train with no lights or no showers or whatever. We just accept it. The longer you accept it, you know, you're going nowhere. So I, I, I do, I applaud the likes of Cavan or Kildare or whoever might, might come up because you need to hear more and more of these stories. And I think that if you have people that go on and back them and, and push for more and more, and I know, I know the, the GPA are doing that all the time and, and you know, are working really hard to get that. But I, I do think it'll take a, a big player movement to start pushing things and, and make it better. Because, you know, as I said, any time I've talked about this, I'm ta- I was talking about this probably 10, 15 years ago that players weren't being looked after. And, you know, while we've moved on, it's the steps that we're moving on and are way too small. You know, we're in 2023 now and we've probably moved on two or 3% from, you know, 10 years ago. Yeah, it's definitely, it's definitely frustrating. I think the examples you give from the Australian side there are something that's really progressive. If it is a cut of a share, um, and ter- I don't know how that can work practically here. Like in Ireland, I suppose, in terms of if it's expenses or traveling expenses, making sure people aren't paying for diesel out of pockets, for example, you know, and I think there's yeah, all those... Yeah, I think, I think you can start here. Like I think facilities is a huge problem, you know, trying to get pitches and, you know, every club is training at the moment. I think like if you have an intra-county ground, that intra-county ground, wherever it might be, you know, if it's Mikhail Park, the, wherever the Mayo men train, that facility is offered up to both the Mayo ladies senior team, the men's hurling team, you know, and Mayo have a, a junior camogie team, whatever. That facility is offered up to all four teams and they're given an equal use of it. I think that's a place you can start. Yeah, expenses, that's a different story because obviously there's there's money there and it needs to be generation and stuff. But I think you can start off with the basics and I think that's one area you can start to look at and that, you know, there you have good facilities, whether it's pitches, gyms, and players are looked after, there's showers, toilets, whatever it might be. You start with there and, and, and then push, you know, for whatever it might be. As we said, the whole issue around gear and probably food, and that has been sorted. So facilities, um, expenses, and, and how you're, you're looked after, you're never out of pocket for an injury. I think they're the three that you need to look at and, you know, take one and fix it and then go after the other. I think that's no, it's such an important point. And I suppose as well when we're in conversations like this, you can both we can get bogged down or I can take us down all the I suppose the messy stuff is the stuff that reaches media and reaches common conversation and yes, highlighted them and they're really important. And all those ones have to be pruned away, Cora, and dealt with, and we need less and less of that happening. But I suppose there is also lots of good stuff going on and I'm definitely curious as to we started the conversation around transition I'm definitely curious to learn more about your role with Galway Camogie was that something that was pre-planned what is your role there how have you found stepping in I suppose kind of rubbing your GI the part of your athletic identity in a GA sense up in a different way Um, so maybe just kind of I'll throw you an open question to begin with just in terms of what that is and how it's going and kind of what's what's been happening there yeah, so I suppose, uh, no, I certainly wasn't an area that I was going to go into. That was definitely not. I was in Australia at the time and I got an email from Cahill Murray, who's the Galway Camogie manager, um, just basically telling me who I was and uh, could he uh, could he get my phone number? And I was like, yeah, no problem. So I gave him my phone number and he asked me, could he rang, ring me, rang me when I have to train? And, and basically just spoke about Galway Camogie. He's obviously been involved for a few years and, basically asked me would I be interested in coming in and kind of performance coach role. And I was like, well, what does that look like? I know, because I know that's kind of a title that's been used, thrown around the GA, but probably not, 
not fully comfortable with that title. And, you know, I was basically, well, in what regard would you want me to win? And, you know, as I said to him now, five months in the job, you know, it's there since kind of early January. I'm a jack of all trades. I kind of do things for different things in there. Um, so my role basically is I, you know, I'm obviously a selector. I'm involved in team selection. I, I do a good bit of work with our forward group. Um, you know, because obviously the principles of Gaelic football and even AFL are the same in, in Camogie. So, um, you know, do a good bit around them. And, um, you know, we've, we've a couple of coaches in and, you know, some of this actual stuff that we're doing and the terminology we use is, you know, um, has I, I've seen used in AFL and stuff like that. So from that point, that's one area. My other area is then just working with the girls individually and one-on-one, um, you know, we've girls that range from kind of 18 to maybe 35 plus and, you know, they've all lives outside of Camogie. I think that's really important to remember whether in some leaving certs, we've students, we've workers, we've all different. So just making sure that they have that, you know, their their lives outside of Camogie are good and they're all in a good place outside of that. Um, and then, you know, obviously work on their individual performances, how they're performing, how we can, you know, get them better, what they, they might need to get better at, um, you know, and you spend more time with others. You know, some of them probably don't need too much. Others need plenty. Um, and then obviously collectively working with the team, trying to make them, you know, more connected, um, more as a unit, both on field and off field. Um, you know, just bringing a couple of things that I learned, particularly from Australia, um, you know, around leadership, trying to develop, you know, we have certain leaders in our group, but trying to develop younger leaders in our group. So doing a wide range of things. And then I suppose I'm, I'm, I'm a bit of a conduit between, you know, um, the, the management team and the players that a lot of stuff kind of comes through me um, that I'll bring to the management that, that kind of way as well, that, you know, t- taking a while, players obviously res- respect and trust you, you know, uh, after a couple of couple of months in there. So it's it's that kind of role, you know, I, it arranges. So I've, you know, every bit of role, but as, you know, I, I attend all trainings, I'm there all the time. Um, so, yeah, I actually really enjoy it. Um, I talk when in first, God, I'm not sure what I'm doing here, Probably the first session or two, um, I wasn't too sure. But yeah, um, after that, I actually really, really enjoy it. They're a great bunch of girls. Um, you know, I couldn't say Anthem, but good things. They're very driven. Um, Anthony asked them to do or Anthony, you kind of throw at them. Um, they're very open to it. Um, I like that. It's like being involved in any team. Um, you know, while I was in Australia, I, I worked with a lot of our younger, younger girls, um, kind of just fell upon me. Um, you know, we've a lot of younger girls over there were kind of 18 to 21 and all have moved interstate. So they weren't from um, New South Wales. And I ended up being a mentor for a lot of them um, and meeting them outside of kind of the, the football environment and just helping them with everyday life and if their struggles, if it was at football or outside their life. So I feel like I'm a bit of a mentor um, for, for a lot of our girls, young and old in Galway as well, just, you know struggles that they might be having or trying to get the you know the best out of them and you know when they're at training they're getting the best out of themselves so yeah the role is 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 very varied but um Carl gives me the autonomy and freedom to do whatever I want really so um yeah yeah as I said we've a very good management team you know with a couple of coaches a couple of strength and conditioning coaches physios um dietitians we're we kind of all work together and uh, yeah I, as I said I'm probably a bit of the liaison between them all you know if there's an issue uh, the dietitian or physio might ring me and you know I, I I'll try and see how we kind of solve the problems if there if there's problems so I hope that answers your question no it's a great answer and it makes me want to ask about 10 more questions but uh I suppose even I'm just I'm thinking of you Cora in terms of of coming back and we mentioned like transition at the start and 
I actually I had a quote written down here from when we spoke in 2017 and you said that sport is a drug. It's very difficult to walk away and that will be a concern when I leave, filling that void. Um, and I suppose I have that in my head and as I'm listening to you there, in some ways, does it did it surprise you how much, how all in you've ended up here? Or actually in some ways, does it just make a lot of sense that you kind of got in and got that feeling and, and the connection, you, you saw it as an opportunity of kind of to manage that transition and to get some of the same feelings and maybe rewards just in a different way. I suppose I'll throw that over to you to yeah. see what you think of that. Yeah, I definitely think it helps. While I probably didn't think that going in, I definitely think that, and that's what I said earlier on to you, I think that's helped me transition because I'm still a part of that kind of elite environment, high-performing environment. While I'm not the person now on the pitch, I just have a different role within it. And I get, I get, you know, huge satisfaction. And I have throughout my career, and, and in Australia in particular, I get huge satisfaction out of someone that you're working with doing well. And as I said, I probably comes from the whole mentoring and even towards the latter part of my career, when I you know, probably matured a little bit through my career, like I got huge satisfaction out of girls doing well, especially people I was really close to or had huge respect for. Um, and, you know, I, I go back to even 2017 with Mayo, like getting to getting to an All-Ireland final, why we didn't win at that time. We hadn't been in an All-Ireland in, in 10 years. The satisfaction while I obviously wanted to get back to Port Park and win in All-Ireland, but the satisfaction I got then of girls that I had, you know, um, soldiered with for a number of years that didn't ever get to Crow Park before or didn't get to rep- represent Mayo in All-Ireland or didn't get to play in front of whatever that was there on the day of 50,000. I, I got huge satisfaction out of that. So I think towards the latter part of my career, I was getting satisfaction out of others doing well, but also having that competitive drive and, and wanting to do well myself. So I think that kind of transitioned in into Australia where I don't, you know, and, you know, my head coach over there, Al, would have always said, I've brought you over here from, from a leadership point of view and to, to, to create a culture where you can players can thrive and do well. And then I was kind of thrown into that mentor role into a leadership group. So I think all of that has been then brought into Galway. And yeah, and I thrive like, and they slag me now, like, you know, because obviously the Mayo-Galway rivalry is, is, is huge and, you know, from a, a football point of view, yeah, we certainly never liked each other. So they slagged me. And, you know, I, I remember certainly after a couple of games, you know, particularly I said to them after the league final, like, I'm so passionate about this team, even though it's Galway. And, you know, they, this, you know, this, they love to see me go around the Galway gear. But I think you just, you get so into it and so passionate because you're working with a group, you're spending so much time with them. You're like, I'm spending three or four nights a week, you know, a couple of hours a, a week with them. You know, and I just think, yeah, you just get so passionate and you get you want to see them do well and you see how hard they're working. And I, I suppose you have that, you know, I was lucky, I suppose, because what I've achieved throughout my career, you know, you walk into a place like that and they probably have, I don't want to say instant respect, but they have some sort of respect from you from what you've achieved or what they've seen of you. Um, and I, I think that helped me, me certainly going in and, you know, that, you know, I had in, not instant respect, but that we had mutual respect then from there on, you know, I got to know them and there's the, the trust and respect wasn't long coming in, in, and have it both ways. And I, yeah, you know, I, I'm down in Nolan Park and I think we, we score a goal and, you know, or we win the game or it's a close game and down in Parky Quiven, you know, I'm as excited that we've won than there as they are on the pitch. You know, I'm trying to control my emotions up in the stand a little bit, but it does, it's because you're, you're, that type of person once you go into something you're all in and, and you want to see everyone doing well so yeah I, I think that certainly helped me transition across because I still have that kind of 
adrenaline and, and drive and that high performing environment. I'm still involved in it kind of three or four times a week. It sounds like listening to you there, and I know, like, I mean, you got a couple of smiles on your face as you're talking to him, and I can kind of feel your energy pick up too. Like, it sounds like sport will continue to be part of your life in, in whatever guys, if it is, I suppose, in a backroom team where you're doing one-to-one and some of the stuff you've outlined. I suppose, is there any part of you that sees yourself maybe stepping out front down the line as a head coach, as a manager, kind of as you kind of take stock of all this in terms of backroom team and finding your your role and a way to keep engaged with a sport that you love, but also, you know, be successful and help other people? I, I'd imagine that's all just bouncing around your head the last while, is it? Yeah, I'd like it probably wouldn't say it's a huge aspiration. Uh, yeah, probably down the line. Uh, yeah, I wouldn't mind, you know, being involved in, in coaching whatever team it might be, a men's football team or, you know, um, a, a ladies football team, whatever it might be. Um, I, I actually like, though, at the moment that I'm learning the intricacies of a, of a, a high-performing management team because, you know, I do slag, you know, Cahill and, you know, we talk on the phone and offer but I actually, I've been learning a lot from how you put together um, a, a really good management team. As I, I said to him, well, you've definitely taught me that delegation is, is the number one key of being um, a manager of any team or any, uh, like, I, I, like we, we, we laugh about it, but it's true. To, the people that you have around you uh, is hugely important within any management team. And I, I learned that. And if I ever did go in time into management, that'd be the first thing I'd be putting people with me that are, you know, I trust and, will challenge me and, um, you know, uh, and, 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 and help me. But, you know, I will ultimately have your back with that you trust and, and certainly challenge. Like there, there are two huge areas that we have in, in, in Galway, Camogie, and I think that's hugely important. So I feel I'm just learning and, you know, we have a couple of coaches that are involved with Galway, Camogie. And as I said, while the, the game is different to Gaelic football, it's it, the principles are all the same. And even while I'm learning um, from them, you know, what small bits you pick up because you're training on the whole time is, is massive. You know, I'm, I'm learning so much, you know, from, from Cahill, but also our coaches and, and how they go about it and, and how the whole system is ran. And because I think when you're in it yourself and you're playing, um, you probably don't take it all in. You're just worried about that training is done, you're training well and everything's there. Um, and, you know, when I was at Mayo, yeah, I can certainly remember, you know, the really good coaches that I had and how they ran it and why we were, we were successful. But I think when you stand back and, and you're there and you're not involved in playing, I just think you learn so much more. And yeah, I, I think with Galway Camogie and, and certainly over in Australia, again, it's a different sport, but the principles are all the same. I've learned so much from from the setups from our head coach in Australia and from 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 Galway Camogie already that I hope, yeah, in time, if I do go into management and, you know, I'm, I'm in no rush certainly to enter it, that I will have had a huge amount of experience and learning from, from both Australia and what I'm doing now. Brilliant. Um, I know I definitely and it sounds like as well like you're kind of using that as a kind of a little apprenticeship in terms of widening your perspective and seeing the seeing some of the as you said like the intricacies of like a backroom team and the delegation and stuff that when we're all players we don't like even doesn't even cross our mind you're just like I'm going to tell that person what I think now soon enough Um, I suppose yeah but I also think you learn a lot sorry I think you learn a lot from what I've like you learn a lot about the the athlete as well and, and the player. Um, because you know, when I'm when I'm playing, I'm focused on me. But now I know a huge amount of the player and you know, I, I've learned so much about, you know, especially female athletes and you know, you expect them to be full of confidence and full of self-belief, and it's the opposite. And trying to find out why and 
you just learn ways of dealing with certain players. You, you, you understand that certain players that, you know, they need huge amount of encouragement, you know, arm around the shoulder all the time. There's certain players that are motivated differently. They don't need that amount of encouragement. They might need it the other way. So it's to find the balance and, you know, how they are, how they're driven. And that's very difficult when you have 36 players to find out, you know, what, what, how is she driven? What, how do I work with her? How do I get the best out of her? And when you spend so much time with them individuals and you sit down with them and you watch the way they go about themselves, it's, it's amazing. So I think as a, as a manager trying to figure all that out and have the logistics run and everything else and running the sessions, it's very, very difficult. And I suppose if you have a backroom team that can help you with that, it makes life easier because um, female athletes are different, different in ways to men. You know, we have to say it, you know, they're, um, you know, they're different to deal with them. You know, they're, they need loads of information. You know, they're, they're sensitive to, to, to the way that they're spoken to. Not all, but, but some are. So I think you just learn a huge amount and, um, that's what I've learned with with um, so far from from working with the, the players that you know there's you have to treat each of them individually while it's a collective game. But if you want to get the best out of them, you have to figure out how they're um, how they're driven and how they're motivated. And yeah, it, it's an interesting task doing that. No, it's such a brilliant insight. And I know like from my own work on a day to day, like especially when I'm dealing with head coaches, like sometimes we talk about like it's trying, it's like trying to put together a puzzle that's constantly moving because even you get a couple of pieces slotted in over here, but then something happens with someone else and that knocks a couple of different things out of the way over there. A hundred percent or someone <laughs> says something and you're wondering, why did you say that? I've spent two weeks just just getting them to, to base level and now they're back down again. So yeah, it's 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 brilliant though. It's it's a great way of work. And as I said, I'm very lucky with go with that, you know, Kahal just gives me the freedom to do whatever I want. And you know, he I can challenge him, he can challenge me. We can all all our backroom team can challenge each other and, and that's what you love. That's again, I suppose I've spent my year um thriving off challenges and, and I suppose this is probably another another way of getting it. No, it's brilliant. Um, I suppose also I, I I can't go without asking. Like, you're still are you still playing a bit with the club? Are you still planning to play this season? Like, where's your kind of head out with talking out and playing still? Yeah, yeah, I've played a couple of club club matches since I've been back. Um, yeah, I, I'm trying to I'm trying really hard to play. Uh, I'm probably just not getting in the level of training at the moment that I I'd like to be getting in, just because life is so busy. I'm spending so much time in my care. Um, but yeah, I'll certainly, you know, championship doesn't kind of start really in Mayo till late August, early September. So, yeah, we've we've league football going on. I'm trying to, you know, make as much as games as I can. It's not always possible. But um, yeah, no, I'll certainly contribute in some way. Um, I hope come later in the summer when, you know, Camogie is finished and, you know, RT isn't as hectic and, and things like that, I'll have more time to kind of look after myself. But yeah, no, I, I, I will certainly try and give back as much as I can to the club for as long as I can, um, you know, it's, it is more difficult, uh, you know, to, to try and get to, to, to get out and run and, and do all your sessions. You know, I do try and get there, you know, when I can, but it's, it's just not possible. So yeah, but I'll certainly be contributing, as I said, you know, I, I've, I've played a couple of matches with them. Um, and yeah, certainly come championship, I hope to be back in, in full swing with them. I know, like, and you mentioned there, like, giving back to the club, Cora, like, but I suppose I'm also would wonder as well, like, are you still enjoying the act of playing the game? Like, when you talk out, when you play, are you still feeling that kind of, that joy or that kind of fulfillment bubbling under the surface or kind of where are you at mentally with, I suppose, playing Gaelic football right now, having had the last couple of years that you've had? 
Yeah, I, I probably wouldn't say I, I enjoy it as much as I used to, for sure. Um, I yeah, there's 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 a, there's a certain amount of enjoyment. The enjoyment is probably going and just keeping yourself active and keeping yourself fit. Um, yeah, obviously you'd like to go out and compete and win, and and you do when you go out there. But you know, I, I probably know I'm not as good as a Gaelic footballer as I was ten years ago. So there is a level of there is there is a certain level of enjoyment. There probably isn't the same level of enjoyment there was ten years ago when I was playing it, just because I know myself that um, throughout my whole career to give it my all, I need to be training at a really high level, and I need to like for me to be fully prepared. If I was playing AFL or playing Mayo football. I needed to be training, doing every training session, attending every gym session. You know, people ask me, how did you know you were ready? That's how I knew I was ready. So I probably find that, you know, when I cannot give it, you know, everything, be at every training or, or, or do everything I can, then I probably know I'm not fully, um, you know, fully contributing like I'd like to. But at the same time, you know, we've a lot of young girls in the team. Again, you're trying to mentor them, you know, trying to help them get better. Um like that, you're just trying to help the club get better. Yeah, there is certain enjoyment. There's enjoyment, yeah, obviously, if you win or you perform. It's probably not enjoyment the next day when you're trying to get up out of bed and you're as stiff as a poker. But, yeah, there, there's certainly, there, there is a certain amount. There's probably not, a, there probably isn't, a, you know, in the, a, when I was in the height of my career. But, um, you know, sometimes you just have to, you know, give back to a place that's given you so much, even if it, the enjoyment level isn't, you know, a 10 out of 10. No, I get you. Um, and I suppose, like, as I'm listening to you there, then, like, I mean, is it fair to say that there's no secret ambitions or something bubbling in the back of your head to try and play for Mayo one more time? Like, is, do you feel like that chapter of life is fully closed? Yeah, that's 100% fully closed. It's closed. Jesus. It's mad that I still get asked this question. Um, I, I'm i gone from Mayo, what, nearly five, six years at this stage. So, yeah, there's no, de- de- definitely no um, ambition to go back. Um yeah, that chapter is well closed. You know, I, okay. I as I said, I enjoy watching games, you know, and I probably don't get to anywhere near as many games just because my schedule go with Camogie and, and Archie is it's all weekends and gone. But yeah, no, I, you know, enjoyed um, you know, obviously watching Mayo Ladies. You know, again, I didn't see it, I just seen it on um on the live stream um because I was in RT that day, uh, you know, beating uh, Galway in the Connacht final. So yeah, no, there's enjoyment to watching it, but no. It's again, it's trying to explain to people to having to go and get yourself to that level. I wasn't ever the most athletic player where, you know, fitness came to me. I have to work really hard and, and stay in fit. And I'm not the one that likes, you know, running around doing a 2K time trial. I hate it. So for me to stay fit was difficult. You know, that was the most difficult part of my career was constantly to stay at a high level of fitness. So it meant training 12 months the year when everyone else was having two or three months off. I couldn't afford to have it off because I wouldn't go back in January or in, in Australia. I wouldn't go back in preseason in good shape and I'd be always behind the eight ball. So, yeah, I don't miss what well, I still run and I don't mind doing small, smaller, sharper sessions. I don't miss having to go out and knowing a really hard session and go to that dark place where you're pushing yourself and you absolutely have nothing left. So I don't miss that at all. Um, you know, I'll never do a marathon or anything like that because that is not me. But I, I, that's one thing, if anyone asks me, I don't miss having to try and go to the local pitch and, and train four, four or five nights a week to, to be ready to, to, to go back out to Australia. So, yeah, that's that's one element I don't miss at all. 
No, I appreciate that. And like, the only reason I actually asked you the question was when I was like, I was reading your book and then when I was looking up stuff online, like I know like the Giants announced your retirement, but nothing ever popped up that like, you know, you'd retired for Mayo and I didn't know whether that was, there was, I just wanted to make sure there was no, there was no very secrets there. There was a cat in the bag no, that there, was waiting to come not, out. Yeah, I'm, probably, <laughs> I'm probably just a really bad social media person, to be honest. Uh, no, um, yeah, no, certainly that sh- chapter's closed, you know, as I said, and it's been suggested in in the last couple of months. You're not the only one. Like I'm, I'm five, nearly six years out of playing inter county football. Yeah. I think um, no matter who you are, you're never going to be able to come back and and you know to to the level that you went at. And i as I said, I just been very lucky. I I finished my career, you know, still playing at a high enough level. You know, I wasn't. You know, I I felt that I was still contributing, whether it was with Mayo or with AFL. You know, I was still contributing at a high level, still starting, still playing. So. You know, and that's kind of the way I wanted it that I was, you know, um, you know, not one of these players that are just hanging on, you know, maybe getting two or three minutes at the end of the game. You know, I knew going out that I was, you know, still contributing highly. So that's the way I always wanted to end it. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense in terms of like, you know, ending it on your own terms, but also probably getting ahead of maybe the game starting to sour in your mind in terms of your enjoyment, we said about enjoyment there and then we're just starting to feel that certain things are waning or just having that kind of creeping in. Um, and I think that makes, makes a lot of sense. And we always like when players retire in different ways, like there's always different ways to do it. And there's always different ways like to close that chapter. And like the main thing is you find out or you do it the way that works for you. There's no set template to follow. And I think like kind of pivoting just towards the end and we've so, We've talked about like the Australian chapter. We've talked about coming home with Galway Camogie. Can I just ask then, kind of, what else is going on in life right now? Um, in terms of that transition, I know you mentioned you're not going to be one of those to do a marathon and and to take that on. But I suppose, kind of, what are the kind of couple of other pillars, Cora, in life, and as you kind of like adjust and transition and set up for the next chapter? Yeah, I, I suppose you know, for me now, it's it's hectic now. But you know, I suppose. Down the line, I, I I hope to go back and, and probably do um, a couple of different courses in areas that I, I, I'm kind of interested in and that kind of performance coaching, um, you know, psychology of sports and of a player, that type of stuff. You know, when I when I get a little bit more time, I'd certainly like to you know, go into that a little bit more um, because I think you should be always learning and, and, and um, you know, it, life is to try and get as much information, and, and you you're never like your like your playing days. You're you're never as you know you're never at the top. But you're you're never reach perfection. So you always want to get better. So yeah, certainly when I get time, I'd like to 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 do a couple of courses, um, in that. Um, yeah, and I suppose down the line, I, while I still still think Australia has you know a part to me as well. I'd like to get over and back there. Um, you know, I do hope to do you know some some sort of work with the AFL and. Um, you know, um, I have, you know, I have numerous, as I said, kids or girls or, you know, teenagers, um, young adults on to me about the whole transition and trying to get up across there, you know, help them if that's what their goal is, you know, help them, you know, to try and reach that goal. So yeah, there's a mixture of different things. I do see myself trying to get over and back to Australia, at least probably once every 12, 18 months and spend a little bit of time over there. And, um, again um learn a bit more about the game and, and the coaching side of the game over there so because as i said a huge amount of stuff that i've learned there i've brought over already and i think there's a huge amount to learn as well so yeah i do see my role will always be um somewhere within sport what area of sport whether it's coaching performance coaching whatever it might be if there's 
there's a, there's a broad area that it, it can cover. But I do see that I'll always be involved in it. Um, yeah, and and as I said, trying to trying to give back to people, I suppose, that's given to me, whether that's club or, you know, di- different people. <laughs> you know, your 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 phone and your email or your WhatsApp is always busy asking you to to go to different things, whether it's talks, presentations, training sessions. I'm one that's not very good at saying no, so I I probably I, I try and get to as many of them, try and give give back to you know, both codes, whether it's AFL, um, you know, or Gaelic football. So, yeah, that's probably what what um, the next short term or medium term looks like. Um, and, yeah, I just kind of enjoy that I don't have to push my body to limits that probably at times didn't enjoy being pushed. Uh, but, um, yeah, that that's probably, as I said, the short term or medium term future for me. And after that, we'll see. But, yeah, certainly, you know, what I'm doing now is what I'm enjoying. And obviously the punditry and stuff with RT, you know, I really enjoy doing that. And, um, you know, learning more about the game and the in-depth analysis and stuff. Yeah, so everything I'm doing at the moment, I'm really enjoying and, and will continue to try and get better at, at, at every aspect of that. Amazing. I've no doubt, like, just again, I hear the passion from you there and kind of the drive to, if it's find new roles or find a new way to kind of, to push yourself, to challenge yourself. But it also sounds like some part of your career or kind of next chapter in work is going to be helping others kind of unlock themselves or or push themselves I suppose just as I finish up and kind of the last one I have for you, Cora, is just like, and I purposely didn't take this conversation back to all like the Mayo days and the playing days because I just kind of want out of respect for what you've been doing since then and kind of where you're at right now. And I kind of wanted to dig into that more so. But kind of as you look back on it all and just kind of from the athlete side, both with Sydney, both with Mayo, like how how do you look back kind of on what you've achieved and the legacy that you leave behind from like the active playing side? Yeah, I... I... I probably struggle at that. Like, you know, people are like your trailblazer and legacies and all that. Oh, like all I did, I suppose, when I started to play and, and you know, play at a high level, whether it was with May or, you know, finishing it with the, with the AFL, with the Giants, is just that I wanted to try and get the best out of myself every time I went to training or, um, you know, play a match. I'm very much one of these people that, you know, try and max out at every session or every game and, and try and get the best out of myself. And, you know, I, I I probably felt that I did that, and you know whether it was with Mayo or Carrigan or the Giants or you know the bit of soccer rugby I played, and you know you try to help make people better as well. To you know whether individuals or collectively as a team, you're trying to make you know everyone better. So I suppose you know I've been asked this question a number of times. I probably look look back at my career, and I'm just really grateful and blessed that you know I've had such a long career in sport. You know, and I, at times, I, you know, when I'm, I'm talking to kids, I kind of say, you know, your career can go really fast. And then they kind of look at me, well, yours didn't. Um, but I'm just like, <laughs> I'm, I'm just blessed that I, you know, got the opportunity to play multiple sports, uh-huh. got the opportunity to play professionally, got the feel for what that was, obviously got to win all Ireland with Mayo. And yeah, just, you know, have a huge impact. And, and I suppose I... You know, I, I'm quite humble. I, I I don't like all the you know the accolades and, and stuff that comes along with it. But I do hope and you, you do know that you inspire the next generation of male and female um, you know kids. You know, over the last how many probably 20 plus years that you've inspired them to see that they can be who they want to be um, within sport. And you know, I know I did that because you, you get plenty of messages, whether it's letters on or on social media or whatever it might be, or 
I suppose that you've you've done that you've inspired the next generation to to achieve whatever they want to be. That anything's possible. Um, you know, I was always like that anything's possible. You know, as I said, as a ten year old, I wanted to play for Man United. At the time, it wasn't possible, but my Man United ended up being playing with the Giants in the AFL. But you know, I always tell kids when I go and, and talk to them, you know, make sure you dream big and whatever your dream is, go and chase it because it's always achievable. I think that's a perfect note to end it on, Cora. I just want to say for me, thank you for taking the time to talk to us today on The Player's Voice. Thank you for your honesty and your insights. And I mean, genuinely, like for all that you've just talked through there in terms of kids over the last 20 years, by all means, congratulations. But I think it's really exciting to hear you talk about the next chapter and how you're going to find a new way to evolve and to do your thing. And I think the word enjoy popped up a couple of times and people sometimes talk about transition as if you're like, yes, stuff is being left behind, but you're also moving forward. Um, And I wish you the very best of luck with that chapter. It sounds like it's an exciting one for you and I'm excited to see where it takes you. So thank you, Cora. I really appreciate it. No bother, Alan. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for listening to the latest episode of The Player's Voice, which is brought to you by the Gaelic Players Association in collaboration with Real Talks. To listen to previous episodes with leading inter-county GA players like Patrick Horgan, Niall Morgan, Leah Caffrey and Ashing Thompson, make sure to subscribe by searching The Player's Voice on whatever podcast platform you prefer. And while there, you would really be helping us out if you rated or reviewed the show. My name is Alan O'Mara, And to find out more about my work as a performance and wellbeing consultant, go to www.realtalks.ie. You can also find me on Twitter and Instagram if you have any feedback about this episode or want to suggest any future guests. And please don't forget, you can find out more about the GPA's BO360 programme by visiting bo360.gaelicplayers.com. Thanks for listening.